This is Pastor Rick's Daily Hope, the audio broadcast ministry of Pastor Rick Warren. Today we continue in our series called Radicalis, Developing Spiritual Roots. In these lessons, we'll learn how to live a life that is deeply rooted in Christ and His Word so that we can become all God has created us to be. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to tell you how to get a copy of the Daily Hope Gold Scripture Box called Verses of Hope, a great way to keep God's Word right at your fingertips all year round. You can go to PastorRick.com or you can text the word DAILY to 800-600-5004 to find out more. Now, here's Pastor Rick Warren with part one of a message called Radical Faith. As we began a new series, I said, what the world needs is more radical Christians, not fanatical. We got plenty of fanatics. We don't need any more fanatics, but we need radical believers, not casual but radical in the true sense of the meaning of the word radical. That word radical is misused by most people today. Most people think it means extreme, over the top, on the edge, excessive, fringe, fanatical. But the word radical actually means from the roots. That's what it means, from the roots. It's from the Latin word radicalis, and that's what we're calling this series, radicalis a 14th century English word that literally means from the roots. It's from the word radix that we get the word radish. And what is a radish? It is a big root. And when we talk about eradicating something, that means to eliminate it, you pull it up by its roots, you eradicate it. When we talk about radical surgery, you cut it out at the root. You cut out the disease, you don't, leave, you don't put a bandaid over it, you cut it out at the source so there's no root left. In botany, the word radical means the, the leaves closest to the root are the radical leaves. In math, the radical in math is always the root of the equation. And the radical sign in math is the square root sign or the cube root sign. It's always about the root number. In chemistry, a free radical, to, an, a radical is two atoms together and a free radical is one with an unpaired electron. It's the smallest thing you can get to. In, in linguistics, r- the radical are the, are the consonants, usually three, that create the sound of a word. And in grammar, the radical is the root of the word without the prefixes or the suffixes. It always means from the root. And when I say what we need today are radical believers, we need people who have spiritual roots. Most people have no depth in their lives. They have no roots in their lives. And so they're blown away like tumbleweeds whenever the rogue winds come. And they dry up when the heat's on. And they wither when they go through the times of drought. Now I wanna go back to our theme verse. It's on the screen, Colossians 2.7. Let's read it aloud together. Keep your roots deep in him. Build your lives on him and become stronger in your faith as you were taught. He says, I want you to have spiritual roots. This week, I want us to talk about the root of radical faith. Now, what is faith? Faith is kind of like a diamond, and it has many facets to it, many faces to it. If you want to understand what it really means to have faith, you go to a chapter in the Bible called Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter in the Bible. Just like 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 11 is the 
faith chapter. And in that chapter, we have God's Hall of Fame. We have God's top 10 guys. We have the guys that God says, these are the people to model if you wanna live a life of faith. And he talks about Joseph, and he talks about Abraham, and he talks about Moses, and he talks about Noah. And he lists all of the people that you've heard about through the Bible that are the heroes of the faith. It's God's you know, Hall of Fame list. And we're gonna look at seven of those people today because they model seven facets of radical faith. Let's get right into it. Now the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse six, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I cannot overemphasize the importance of faith in your life. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. The Bible says whatever is not a faith is sin. The Bible says Uh, according to your faith that will be done unto you. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. God wants you to learn to trust him. That's the reason he put you on this planet, to learn to love him and to learn to trust him. And so living by faith is not some little side issue. You can't please God. Let me say that again. You cannot please God except through faith, not by working hard, not by trying hard, not by being your best, not by being perfect. None of those ways work anyway. The only way you bring pleasure to God is by loving him and trusting him. So what does it mean to have radical faith? I hope you're taking notes this week. Number one, faith, the Bible says in in, uh, verse one of Hebrews 11, faith is believing when I don't see it. Faith is believing, radical faith is believing when I don't see it. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible says in verse one, Hebrews 11, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is visualizing the future in the present. Faith is seeing in advance. Now this principle is found all through the world regardless of whether a person is a Christian believer or not. Before, you know, we say, well, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. You've heard that people say that. I'll believe it when I see it. But God says there are some things you have to believe in order to see it. Now, anybody who, who, uh, who is a professional understands this. Architects know that they have to believe it, that the building can exist before it's built. And they've got to see it in their mind and believe it in their mind's eye before it gets on paper, before it becomes a building. Nothing just happens. It starts by believing that it could look like this before you see it happen. Any athlete knows that in order to win the race, you've got to see it in your mind. You've got to believe it's possible before it happens. Nobody goes to the Olympics thinking, I'm not going to win. They go with the attitude of, I I believe I could win this. You have to believe it in order to see it. And they see themselves mentally crossing the finish line before they ever run the race. And they go over and over and over in their minds, rehearsing and rehearsing that vision, that image. Any artist has to see the painting in their mind and believe it's possible before they put the the paint to the canvas or before they do the sculpture. They've seen it in their mind and they've believed it in their mind before they saw it as a reality. A scientist, has to think it's possible to do this, like go to the moon. And they have to believe it before it becomes reality. Some things you have to believe before you see it. 
Werner von Braun, who was the father of the American space program, said, no great achievement has ever been achieved in history without faith. It's believing before you see it. You have to believe it's impossible long before it happens. And faith trusts God to make the vision, the dream, become reality. That's radical faith, believing before I see it. Number two, faith is obeying when I don't understand it. Faith is obeying when I don't understand it. And God gives us two examples of this in his Hall of Fame, Noah and Abraham. Noah in Hebrews 11:7, it says this, it was by faith that Noah built an ark to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about something that had never happened before. Now can you imagine this circumstance? What if God came to you one day and said, by the way, I think I'm gonna destroy the whole world and I'm gonna do it with a flood, but I want you to build a big ship and I'm gonna save your family. Would you believe that? Highly unlikely. And he said, I want you to build an ark. Now, it says there, he did this to warn him about something that never happened before. Why? There had never been a flood. Why? The Bible says up to this time, it had never rained. That's why, by the way, when they saw the rainbow, they'd never seen a rain before. Why? It had never rained before. It says that there was a condensation that came up from the ground before the flood, something like dew on the, on the ground where it can, uh, the condensation, we don't even know how it actually happened. But we do know that people lived much longer before the flood than after. That before the flood, people lived 200, 300, 400 years, a long time. And after the flood, something changed in the climate, in the atmosphere, and people didn't live as long, they lived about as long as we do. So something changed. So God comes to Noah and says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. What's an ark? It's a big ship. Now, Noah lives in Iraq at this time. He's nowhere near an ocean. And so how he says, I want you to build an ark in the middle of the desert. Right. And what's gonna happen? It's gonna flood. What's a flood? Well, lots of rain. What's rain? So would you believe this? How would you like to be Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth? And they're always having to explain their weirdo dad. What is, what's your dad doing in the front yard there? He's been working on that thing for a long time. He's building an ark to save the world and he's only gonna save our family and not you. Right. <laughs> it was probably very, very embarrassing. But, but Noah did it. It said he obeyed God even when he didn't understand it. I'm glad he did. We're all here as a result. And then there was a guy named Abraham who obeyed when he didn't understand it. The Bible says in verse eight, it was faith that made Abraham obey when God called him to go out to a country that God had promised to him. And he left his own country without knowing where he was going. Now Abraham was another guy who lived in what's now modern day Iraq. He lived in a city called Ur. Now how'd you like to be? Where are you from? I'm from Ur. <laughs> and God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. It's gonna be the nation of Israel. Uh, and I'm gonna give you your own country, but you're 75 years old. And what I want you to do is I want you to go on the greatest adventure of your life. Follow me to a new country. Now, Abraham doesn't get any of the details. God says, I want you to pack up everything at 75 years of age and leave. Just when you're ready to settle down, I want you to get it in gear. Just when you're ready for social security, get ready for social insecurity. 
Just when you're ready to hang it up on the wall, you take it down and dust it off because now you're going for the biggest ride of your life at age 75. And, no, and Moses starts, I mean, uh, Abraham starts asking, where are, we go- where are we going, Lord? Well, you've never heard of this place. And uh, how long is it going to take to get there? Well, don't worry about it. Uh, how will I know when I'm there? I'll tell you. Would you, if God told you right at retirement, you're getting ready for the biggest journey of your life and I want you to move to someplace you've never been before and I'm gonna start over and build a great nation through you, would you believe that? Abraham became the father of faith because, and the father of a nation, because he obeyed when he didn't understand it. Now obedience always involves taking risks. See, some people wanna obey God when there's a guarantee. God, I'll do this if you'll guarantee it'll work out. God says, no, 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 this is a risk here. You know, God, I'll start this new business, I'll move to this new location, I'll enroll in school, I'll go after my dream, if you'll guarantee it. God's not gonna guarantee it, he wants you to live by faith. 1975, when I'm 25 years old, living in Fort Worth, Texas, and I get an idea in my mind, and God says, I want you to move to Southern California to a place called the Saddleback Valley and start a church. Now, there were plenty of reasons for me to doubt that. First place, I had never been a pastor. Second, I had never been to the Saddleback Valley, didn't know what it looked like. Third, I had no money. Fourth, no members. Fifth, no building, no support. And lots of reasons to doubt what God had told me to do. I'm glad I obeyed him. Sometimes God asks us to do the impossible just to stretch our faith. And sometimes God asks you to do something that doesn't make sense at all for the same reason, to stretch your faith. You see, in the Bible, in just the New Testament alone, there are 1,050 commands where God says, I want you to do this and I don't want you to do this and I want you to do this and I don't want you to do this. And these 1,050 commands, many of them are Uh, inconvenient, many of those commands are unreasonable, many of those commands actually seem impossible, but they are all there for your benefit because God only acts in your life for good. He only acts in your life because he loves you. He knows what will make you happy more than you will. And when you follow his commands, you get all these blessings in your life, and when you ignore them, you do it to your own detriment. You just hurt yourself. You get broken hearts, you get broken minds, you get broken bodies, you get regrets, you get shame, you get guilt, you get resentment, all these other things, worry, because you don't do it God's way. God says, the plans I have for you, they're good plans, plans for future, plans for hope. So every time God tells you in the Bible to do something, even when it's inconvenient, or irrational from your point of view, or illogical, or impossible. And you say, okay, I'm gonna do it because because you say so, Lord, because you say so, I'm gonna do it. You always, always get blessed. And whenever God asks you to do something, it's a test. It's a test of your faith. What am I gonna trust, God or my gut? That's the test. Am I gonna trust God or my gut? Am I gonna test what I feel is the right thing to do or am I gonna do what God says is the right thing to do? It's always a test of your faith. Faith is believing when I don't see it and faith is obeying when I don't understand it, when it doesn't make sense to me. You see, the Bible says there's a way that seems right 
to man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. In other words, a lot of things that looked like the right thing to do, seem like the right thing to do, would be easier to do, would be more convenient to do, might even be more popular to do, but God says, it seems right, but it's gonna end in a dead end. It's a dead end. And you're just gonna hit the wall and you're gonna hurt yourself. Don't do it. In fact, I usually figure out what would I naturally do in this circumstance and do the opposite. Because my natural inclination is to do what's best for me, to do what's selfish, to do what's self-centered, to do what's easy, to do what's convenient. So God comes along and says things like, whenever anybody hurts you, you forgive them. What? I don't wanna forgive them, I wanna hurt them back. In fact, I wanna hurt them more than they hurt me. My natural inclination is to not forgive people who hurt me. My natural inclination is to slug them back, get it right back, but God says, no, no, that's the way that seems right, but it ends in a dead end. It ends in death. You're gonna only hurt yourself. You don't understand how much resentment's gonna hurt you more than it hurts them. So when God tells you to do something, like forgive your enemies, that rarely feels right. And it doesn't just you know, go with your system, but it is right. It's the right thing to do. And God says, if you do it, you'll be blessed. And he blesses you for obeying. Now, as a kid, how many of you had parents who asked you or told you to do something that when they told you to do it, you thought, that is sheer nonsense? Can I see your hands? The rest of you were raised by wolves, I see, okay? Because <laughs> every parent has done that in their life. Do it, why? Because I say so. Oh, great. That's not a reason, because I say so. What they're saying then is, trust me. I know better than you. And how many of you looking back can actually admit now that some of the things your parents told you to do, which seemed like nonsense, were actually in that moment quite wise? Can I see your hands? Yeah. Now, if our parents who are imperfect and we're sinful and we make mistakes can often know the right thing that we don't know to do, how much more does a perfect, loving God know what you need? And he says, do it. And they, and they say, why, Lord, why should I do that? Because I say so. This is a test. Will you trust me? This is Pastor Rick's Daily Hope. If you missed any part of this message, or if you would like to find out more about Pastor Rick Warren and this ministry, just visit PastorRick.com where you can listen online anytime. That's PastorRick with two R's in the middle dot com. Be sure to sign up for Rick's free daily email devotional while you're there. Rick will be back to close out our time today, but first, you know, in order to live for God in the most meaningful way possible, we need to have His Word deep down in our hearts. That's why Pastor Rick created a spiritual growth tool called the Verses of Hope Scripture Box. Here's Rick to tell you more. One of the most powerful ways you can transform your spiritual life is to memorize Scripture. You say, I can't do that. Oh, yes, you can. The Bible says in Proverbs 7, verse 2, guard my words as your most precious possession. Write them down and keep them deep within your heart. To keep them deep in your heart, you have to remember them. 
That's why I've had my team create a beautiful gold scripture box so you can practice memorizing the verses that we give you and some that you can develop on your own. Now, we've started a collection of 40 verses about hope. These are going to encourage you when you feel down and discouraged. It's a collection that will help you keep God's Word in you so you have it when you need it. Now, I had a graphic artist create Bible verse cards with multiple graphic designs and really cool colors, so you're going to enjoy studying these verses. It's not just words on a blank card, but the colors will actually help you remember uh, these Bible verses. And it help you develop the habit of memorizing Scripture, we've included 64 full-color decorated cards with lines that you can practice writing out your favorite verses. So in addition to the 40 verses of hope, you can write down verses that are meaningful to you, that come to you in your quiet time. And I want to encourage you to use these cards to write down the scriptures that you want to put in your mind and to hide in your heart. And then when you need them, the Holy Spirit can bring them back to mind. Now, the Holy Spirit can't bring up something you haven't put in your heart or in your mind. So store them in this beautiful gold box. It's a real pretty box that will make a great conversation piece. Now, my hope is that this tool will help you learn to love God's Word, listen to God's Word, and live God's Word as you share it with others. Now, while you're working on these verses and some of the verses you want to do, my team's actually working on new sets of Bible verses that will be released throughout the year that you can add to your collection. So I hope you'll get this tool. We're doing it for you. We'll send you the Gold Verses of Hope Scripture Box when you give a gift today to help Daily Hope take the hope of Jesus to people around the world. Quantities are limited, so be sure to act quickly. Go to PastorRick.com right now to get your copy of this great resource. That's PastorRick.com, or you can text the word DAILY to 800-600-5004. That's the word daily to 800-600-5004. And thanks so much for your support. Be sure to join us next time as we look into God's word for our daily hope. This program is sponsored by Pastor Rick's Daily Hope and your generous financial support.